We're going to read from the Bible together just now. We have reached the story of King Solomon in our journey through the big story of the Bible, the King, the Snake, and the Promise. And we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 11 and the first 13 verses. So 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 1. And as we read, remember, this is the Word of God, and so we can trust it completely. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Amen. We thank God for his word to us. This morning, as we come to God's Word, please do open 1 Kings with me. We're going to be in 1 Kings. We're going to have to flip to and fro as we try and put Solomon's story into, into light and into the big picture of the Bible in this overview that we're trying to work our way through. Now, this morning, as we come together, I want to ask us this question. As Christian disciples, as people of God's family here in this place, how do you want to follow Jesus? How do you want to follow him? I assume for most of us, we would say that we want to follow him wholeheartedly. And of course, as a church family in this place, we want to do that. We want to magnify and exalt his name together. That's why we come here. That's why we help one another. That's why we pray for one another. We are on this road of discipleship together, and we want to worship God. We want to worship him wholeheartedly, and not, as Pete was praying, with apathy. So as we think about that, we're going to think about the chemistry of our hearts this morning. What's going on inside of us? What's going on deep down in our hearts? How does that affect us? And we're going to do that through the lens of Solomon. What do we want to see from Solomon? We want to see two things. Solomon is not the king that the people deserved. He's not the king that the people were waiting for. He's the king that leaves them feeling unsatisfied. They're hungering for the righteous, perfect king. 
Just like we thought about last week with King David, it wasn't him, and it's not Solomon. And then secondly, we want to see the danger of idolatry, how it can destroy your faith, how it can lead you completely away from your God, because what does it do? Idolatry compromises the heart. And so, the chemistry of the heart. Why do we do the things that we do? Why are we the person that we are? Well, it's all about the seat of our emotions. Our heart, as as such, pulls the levers of our life. It makes our decisions, our actions, our reactions all flow through our heart. And we're passionate people. We're passionate about the things that we love, just like we were thinking about with boys and girls, ice cream or swings or money or whatever it may be. We're passionate about these things. They excite us. We want to talk about them. We want to learn more. We want to listen to podcasts. We want to read books. We want to watch programs. We want to Google We want to pour time and money and effort into the things that we love. And we will focus the resources of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength on what we love the most. And so John Calvin said this. He said that we are experts at making idols. We are experts at making idols. And so I know for each of us here this morning that there will be an idol in our life. There will be something in our life that we feed, something that we crave after. And we need to know this morning that as a church, that an idol can destroy your life. It can destroy your whole character. And most importantly, it can take you completely away from God. And what is idolatry? Well, really, it is misplaced worship. That's what it is. And so as Christians here this morning, we want to follow Jesus. We want to follow him wholeheartedly. And to do that, what we're going to have to do this morning is pull back the layers of our heart. We're going to have to expose what's going on in this throne room of our lives. And so Thomas Watson said this. He said, God God made man of the dust of the earth, and man makes a God of the dust of the earth. That's what we do time and time again. Well, as we expose our hearts, the question that's going to do that is a question that was posed to King Solomon. If you have your Bible and you want to turn back to 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 5, this question exposes our hearts. And it's the question, what do you want? What do you want? 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 5, Solomon is asked that question by the Lord. What do you want? What does Solomon answer it with? Well, he answers it with wisdom. But by the time we reach the chapter that we're looking at, chapter 11, we know that's not what he really wants. Because in chapter 11, his heart is mentioned several times, and in chapter 11, his heart is for women. Things have changed. And so a writer called James Smith and we'll think a little bit about some of the things that he he says this morning. James says this, he says that first, the last, and the most fundamental question of Christian discipleship is this, what do you want? The first, the last, the most fundamental question of Christian discipleship is, what do you want? As young adults in church, we thought about this, Pete led us through this just a, a few weeks ago, thinking about this very question, what do you want? And so this guy, Smith, and if you're into reading and buying books, there's a great book to buy. Smith continues, he says, this is the most incisive, piercing question that Jesus can ask us. Our wants 
and our longings and our desires are at the core of our identity. The wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow are once reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. So why do we do what we do? Why do we spend our money on the things that we spend our money on? Why do we spend time on the things that we do? Why do we talk? Why do we think? Why do we let our minds wander off whenever we have a minute or two of peace to that thing? Well, really, this question exposes it. What do you want? And the reality is that often our wants take us down a different path from where the Lord wants to lead us. Our selfish desires often take us off. They, they, it's like a, a V in the road. They start to lead us down a path away from the Lord. And like we've already said, adultery, if we follow it, will destroy our faith. It will lead us completely away from God because it compromises our hearts. And so look at Solomon. What happens, Solomon? Well, Solomon's idolatry destroys the kingdom. Next week, we'll think about this. The people are led into exile. The kingdom is split into the northern and southern kingdom. It destroys his whole legacy, and it destroys his faith. And so for us this morning, as disciples, we have to constantly be sieving, constantly sieving the desires of our hearts through the gospel framework. What, what is going on? Why do I want that? Does it honor the Lord? Or is my heart compromised? And here's the thing. We have to be so careful today because today could be the first day of rebellion that leads us completely away from God and where we abandon him forever. We see it here with Solomon. Look at chapter 11, 1 Kings chapter 11. And this dreadful line, this, this chapter is heartbreaking in many ways. The king who had all his hopes of the nation pinned upon him. 1 Kings 11. Verse 1, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. And then the chapter continues. Led away from the Lord, his heart was compromised. And so in this context, what's going on as we think about the big Bible overview just for a moment? God's people were in God's place under God's rule and reign with King David. Everything was going well. Good times never seemed so good. It was all well. Here comes Solomon, whose, whose name means peace. He's the one that all of the, the nation hopes will be this promised king that we thought about last week, 2 Samuel 7. This king who's going to come and who will reign forever, whose throne will be eternal. The promised seed of David. It's, it seems like it's Solomon. The Prince of Peace, the Messiah. And so if, if you do have your Bible, you work with me here. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 2. And as you turn to 1 Kings chapter 2, what do we see? We're going to work our way forward here. 1 Kings chapter 2, what do we see? Well, David's about to die. And what does he do? He passes the throne on to Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 4. Verse 2, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do. His father urges him to follow the Lord. First Kings chapter 3. 
passage that we looked at just a few moments ago. Solomon asks for wisdom, and what does the Lord do? The Lord blesses him. First Kings in the chapter 5 and verse 4, what happens? There's peace in the land. The Lord has given me rest on every side. Things are well. Good times never seem so good. First Kings chapter 6, what happens? The temple is built, and he builds this massive, impressive temple like no other. The richness of it, the, the wealth of his kingdom. The commentators say that uh, he was bringing in at least a minimum of 25 tons of gold every year. All right, if it one of those tons, wouldn't it? 25 tons of gold minimum every year. Everything's good. First Kings chapter 8, verse 23, Solomon says, 1 Kings chapter 8, 23, O Lord God of Israel, there is no one like you. In heaven above or on the earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Notice the word heart. Go on a few verses more. 1 Kings 8, 58. that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments. Verse 61, let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments at this day. And then 1 Kings 9 and verse 6. See how we're putting this all together, Solomon's life, as we step through it. Everything's going well, the mention of the heart. But then 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 6 comes, and the Lord warns him. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and you do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut you off from Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast you out of my sight, and this house will become a heap of ruins. The Lord prepares him. The Lord warns him for the direction that he's heading in. And it's all about the heart. And you see, nothing has changed here from the big Bible overview. Nothing has changed from Adam through to David, through to Solomon. What's going on? The heart is corrupt. The heart is evil. The human heart is bent in on itself. It's riddled with self-promotion. It's not content to live under King Jesus or under the Lord. Instead, we want to be our king and our own queen. As Calvin says, we are experts at idolatry. And so humanity is sick to its core. Adam has spiritual heart failure whenever he eats the fruit. And David has spiritual heart failure whenever he follows the desires of his eyes, but he does repent. What about Solomon? Well, then 1 Kings 11 comes like a ton of bricks. 1 Kings 11, verse 2. Solomon clung to these in love. Not an image for us this morning. What do we do with our idols? We cling to them. We draw them into ourselves. Verse 3, his wives turned away his heart. Verse 4, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Verse 9, 
his heart had turned away from the Lord? Often we think that discipleship is especially for our young people, that they're fragile, that their hearts might be taken and and drawn into the world. This is a story where someone in later life's heart is compromised. Whenever he's older in age, his heart is compromised. And so he has spiritual heart failure. He follows other gods. He ignores God's warning, and he disobeys. What's going on here with all of these wives? 700 wives, 300 mistresses. Well, in the ancient world, polygamy was a way to flaunt your wealth, to ensure that, that you had many offspring. It was a way to cement strategic allegiances. It was a political thing. And so Solomon had been sucked into this culture. And we asked the question, how did it all happen? Why does he abandon his Lord? Why does he stop following the Lord? And it's a heart issue. It's a worship issue. And the question is for us today, what can compromise us? What is the thing that is most likely this morning to compromise you? In your workplace, in your school, in your university, in your family, in your friend group, what is turning your heart away from the Lord? This is... a slight aside from what we're, we're saying here, but I just want to mention it for a moment. Whenever it comes to marriage, husbands, are you turning your wife's heart closer to Jesus? Married women, are you turning your husband's heart closer to Jesus? If you're single today, what do you look for in a spouse? the best hairline, the nicest muscles, whatever it may be? Or do you look for someone who's going to turn your heart towards the Lord and not away from it? It's a heart issue. And so Solomon here, what does he do? He lusts for women. He's lured in by their fragrance, as Proverbs would warn us. And he literally turns to their idols and he fills Israel with the smell of pagan worship as he offers sacrifices to these false gods. Solomon had it all, and yet he abandoned the Lord. There's a passage you can turn, with it, uh, turn to it with me, or, or you can note it. Deuteronomy 17. And in Deuteronomy 17, we have this very thing prophesied. Deuteronomy 17, and in verses 14 through 17, the Lord gives a warning. Here you'll see it on the screen. It's, there's a few verses, so it's maybe a little bit small. But let's read this. Because this was, this was predicted. This was coming down the line. Deuteronomy 17. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you will set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart is turned away. 
nor shall he acquire for himself excess of silver and gold. And if we were to plot Solomon's story all the way through 1 Kings, what does he do? He goes after women, he goes after horses, and he goes after money. It's predicted right here. Don't let it happen. Notice these things. And so it's exactly the same for us. Nothing has changed. It's sex, it's money, and it's power. The three things that still pull our hearts. And the point is this, that our hearts are at war. This is the point for us this morning to take away. There's a worship war in our hearts. A worship war that's constantly going on pulling us to and fro, what are we going to worship? And so uh, one commentator said this. He said, whether we are a pastor or a housewife, we are in danger of being wooed, outwitted, and overpowered by sin. Pastor or housewife, doesn't matter who we are, everyone, we're in danger of being wooed, outwitted, and overpowered by sin. And Solomon proves that to us this morning. So what does he do? He trades the Lord for lust. He goes after these women. He goes after political agreements to cement his peace and his his power in the land. And one commentator says that it was a search for significance and security. I think that's really interesting for us. Significance and security, because that's what idols offer us. Significance and security. And so we look for it in many places, and our hearts are broken. We are captivated, if we're honest with ourselves, by these false idols. They're shiny, and they're attractive. So what do we do? What do we do with our misplaced worship this morning? I could stand here, and I could say, stop it. I could shout at each of us here to stop it, to stop our misplaced worship, to stop our idolatry. I could say it over and over and over again. But the words stop it are powerless to change us. Our idolatry is false worship, and the only way it can change is if we love Jesus more than the thing that we are worshiping. Don Carson said this when he was talking about a particular problem of sin. He said, you've worshipped your way into this problem, and so you must worship your way out of it. You've worshipped your way into this problem, and so you must worship your way out of it. We all worship. We all worship something. Even the atheist who thinks he doesn't worship, he worships, she worships. We all worship something. The the, the question is, what do we worship? What do we want to worship today? Who do you want to worship today? And the problem that we could come away with from looking at Solomon's life in the few moments that we have had today is that we could come away from this and we could think, okay, he's, he's a, a worshiper of idols. He gets caught into this, this sexual sin. It takes his heart away from the Lord. It totally compromises him. There's no way back for him. He, he, he dies and he's, he's in rebellion to the Lord, compromised, taken. And so what we can think to ourselves is, well, the story, the lesson for us is that we just got to try really hard. We got to try really hard for this not to happen to us. And that is not what our call is today. Our call is not to try really hard. 
It's not to muster up more energy, more passion, more enthusiasm inside of ourselves to be a better Christian. The call this morning has to be to see Jesus, to see the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the perfect righteous King, to see Him clearer, to see the King who would not fail us, the King who would come and rescue His people, the King who wouldn't go after 700 wives and 300 mistresses, but who would come for one bride, us, the church. And he would love us so much that he would give up everything that he was willing to leave, all of the the power and all of the wealth as he descended from heaven to come here to rescue his people. This is the king that we need to see today. This is the Jesus that we want to magnify and exalt. We can't magnify and exalt something in a vacuum. We've got to know what he's like, and he's got to do something in here. He's got to do something in our hearts. And how does he do that? Well, he does that as we read from his word, as we speak with him, as we journey with him, as we walk through the good times and as we walk through the bad. That this word of his is living and breathing, and it feeds us and it nourishes us. We can, we can see him clearer as we spend time in one another's company as we pray for one another, as we turn each other towards Jesus. This is what we need this morning. We don't need to try harder as such. We need to see Jesus clearer. That's the call of the gospel. We've got to see what he's done for us. I was reading from a little book by Brian Chappell, and Brian talks a little bit about this. He says that that we often think that our level of obedience, how good we're doing, is the throttle of God's heart. How wrong we get it. Instead, he says, this is really important for us, who we are, who we are in loving relationship with God is not determined by what we do. Rather, what we do is determined by who we are. Do you see that? So we can think to ourselves, we need to, we need to work so hard, and that means that we will one day be perfect. And Chapel saying, no, 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 you need to understand grace. Grace means you are a son or a daughter of the living God, and that means because of your declaration, who you are, that you're changing your life because of his amazing grace, that then you live to serve him, to magnify him, and to exalt him, to love him above all others. So as we close, what takes you away from God today? What takes you away from God? What is worth more to you today than Jesus? What thing clings onto your heart? What thing do you pull into your heart? And what are you going to do about it? Are you going to tolerate sin? Or are you going to kill it? Are you happy to live life half-heartedly for Jesus? Or do you want to see him clearer today? To fall in love with him in a deeper, truer way today? So that as you live life, you can magnify and exalt him. If you're a Christian here today, the chemistry of your heart is being changed. You'll know that because you'll know that you're in a fight, that this is a battle, this is an ongoing work. And so Psalm 34, 3, 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, or you're watching online, that's the invitation to join us as a church family and to exalt and to worship the name of Jesus and not a false idol, not something of the dust of this ground. So what is God worth to you? Is he worth your life? Is he worth your everything? We have thought about Jesus. He is the king. He is the king that we need. He is the king that we desperately need. Not the king who goes after horses, but who comes in on a donkey. Not a king who wants money, but a king who comes to be impoverished. A king who would not have many wives, but whose heart was for us, the church. And so here's your king. Here is your king this morning the true son of David, the one who will reign forever, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and his call is to follow him, or as the hymn writer says, love so amazing, so divine, demands our souls, our lives, our all. And so what do you want today? What do you want? I trust that you will say, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Amen. May God bless his word to our hearts here today. Pete. Thanks, John. We're going to take another moment to pray here in our prayers of intercession. We want to remember some of the needs of our world, particularly the nation of Afghanistan this morning. We also want to pray for the needs of our own land and the needs of our own congregation and also to pray in response to what we've heard from God's word this morning. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, in our prayers of intercession today, we're so thankful that we come to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who is perfect in all of his ways, the one who is completely wise always, the one who is both powerful enough and loving enough to both listen to and answer the prayers of his people. And so, Father, we come to you today with some of the needs of our world. It can be so easy for us in these days to become fixated with what happens in our own little part of your creation and to forget about and neglect what happens elsewhere. And yet we pray today that you will burden our hearts for the people in situations that burden yours, And we want to pray for the ongoing tension and conflict in Afghanistan today. After 20 years of horrible war there, we read of Taliban forces advancing and any semblance of freedom and democracy very much under threat. Lord, we pray that you will frustrate the plans of those who wish to do evil and that you will bring about peace and stability in that region. We pray too this morning for the millions of people caught up in this conflict whose lives have been completely devastated by it over many years, Lord, please have mercy. We pray for humanitarian supplies to get to those who need it most. We pray for leaders in that country who will stand for truth and justice and lead with integrity and compassion. And we pray for your church there, that she will be a beacon of light in the chaos and darkness of war,
and that you will sustain Christian believers there as they navigate all of the dangers and complexities of life in a war-torn country. We do pray for our own leaders and government today as well, for our Prime Minister and his Cabinet, for the Leader of the Opposition and his Shadow Cabinet, for all of those who sit in Parliament at Westminster, and for all of those who sit in Stormont as MLAs and members of our own Executive. Lord, we confess today that we are often much quicker to criticise than we are to pray. We're much quicker to become cynical than we are to petition you for the needs of our land. And so, Father, please help our leaders in the days ahead. Help them to be wise. Help them to make decisions that will see us make progress through the ongoing challenges of this pandemic. Help them to make special consideration of those who are poorest and most needy in our society. And Lord, as your church, help us to be those who are particularly concerned for those whose lives have been thrown upside down by all that has happened over the last 15 months. Father, we do pray as well for the needs of our own congregation today, for those who have been recently bereaved, that they will know the comfort and peace and presence of the risen Lord Jesus. For those who are ill and failing and struggling to keep going, Lord, grant them your help and comfort as they face each new day. We pray for those who are concerned about loved ones and feeling somewhat paralyzed by what the future might hold. Lord, please help us all to bring our burdens and prayers to you in the confidence that you really do hear our prayers and that you really are a kind and loving Father who we can trust with all of our sins and sufferings. And Lord, finally, we pray for ourselves today and especially for our hearts in light of what we have read and heard about King Solomon. Lord, we confess our hearts are compromised. We're not even trying to pretend otherwise. So please be merciful to us today and help us by your grace to put sin to death in our lives and to have our loves and our wants reordered so that we love and live for you above all else. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.